we could divide all kinds of meditation into two groups. Generally, there are two kinds of meditation. And the first kind of meditation is where we have a goal in mind and we make a lot of effort to, to reach that goal, to, to make it happen. So sometimes we may be using the breath or we may be doing visualization or we're doing a, a mantra. And the goal is to repeatedly send your attention to that object, to that sound, to that thought, if it's loving kindness, to that visualization, that, that image, if it's a, a visualization. And we repeatedly do this, where we send the mind over and over and over and over again with quite a lot of focus to just stay on that object, with quite a lot of energy to kind of push the mind towards that object so that we can steady our attention, stabilize the mind, and hold it on that object. This takes a lot of energy. There are many different kinds of objects you can use. And the purpose of that kind of mindful awareness of a single object, the purpose of that is to so stabilize the mind so strongly that there's just no room in the mind for anything else to come in. Disturbing thoughts, plans of the futures, painful memories, emotions, just cannot get into the mind because the intention and the focus and the energy behind that attention is so strong, nothing else gets in. When the mind is free of disturbing emotions, extraneous thoughts, plans for the future, painful memories, when none of those appear in the mind, the mind is quite calm, quite tranquil. We call it secluded because it is far removed from the disturbances in our life. The Buddha taught many different ways of practicing this kind of tranquility, mindfulness. And many of you, no doubt, have uh, also practiced. Maybe you've done loving-kindness practice or metta, where you know you repeatedly, you, you call up a phrase and you direct it towards a different yourself or other individuals repeatedly and you just try to keep that going. Some of you may have done a, like a transcendental or TM where you use a mantra. Or you've done other kinds of meditation where you just keep sending your mind. And so you know the benefit of just feeling secluded and calm. And it has its immediate reward. The Buddha praised those who could practice and did practice to attain what are called deep states of samadhi. Samadhi means the seclusion of mind. Very beneficial practice. Very useful. Especially to us in 
with the lifestyle that most of us lead in 21st century Western culture is very fast, it's very stimulating, uh, it requires multitasking 24-7. And so there's just a tremendous amount going on. And if we knew and if we know how to calm the mind quickly with a mindfulness meditation practice that can tranquilize the mind, we could get a lot of relief immediately. And for as long as we were able to sustain that kind of energy and attention and stability of object. However, when you stop doing that effortful directing of the mind towards that chosen object, then gradually the seclusion of mind weakens and the stuff of life comes back in. And then our thoughts and feelings and emotions and plans and memories and you know all the things that, that stress us start coming back into the mind and we have to deal with them in the ways that we now do. So while there is an immediate benefit to being able to tranquilize the mind through attending to a stable object, the benefit is only as enduring as our effort, attention, intention, and stability of mind. There's a second kind of mindfulness meditation or another kind of uh, development of mind. And that is the development of understanding. And what we do in this kind of meditation is we, again, develop this steadiness of attention so that we see in each moment what is going on. But in this case, we don't try to direct the mind to a single chosen object, but rather we allow whatever is occurring in the present moment to appear in the mind. And it may be a sound, a sight, a thought, a memory, a plan, a daydream, body sensation. It can be anything. We allow it to arise in the mind, in the body, in the mind, in the environment, and we connect with it. We openly receive it, just as it is. Sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's unpleasant. It may be familiar, it may be novel, it may be gross, it may be subtle, it may be physical, it may be mental, it may be inner, it may be outer. It can be, well, everything you've ever experienced. And we allow it to arise in the mind, we allow the mind to receive it, and then we see what happens. Some of what happens we can be quite comfortable with. We just see, oh, this is what it is. But a lot of what we see causes us to be anxious, fearful, uh, forgetful, uh, afraid, 
depressed, excited, uh, curious. And it is those states of mind which cause us to suffer. When we're afraid of something, we're suffering. When we're anxious about something, we're suffering. When we want something that we can't have or maybe shouldn't have, we're suffering. And so it is our, in our relationship to the present moment, it's how we're relating to the present moment, that determines whether we're suffering or not suffering, whether we're happy or unhappy, whether we're at ease or stressed. So in this mindfulness practice that leads to understanding, we allow the experience of the present moment to arise, and we notice what happens. If we're able to see it as just, oh, this, this is the way it is. This, is. this is what it is for now. It's this. It's pleasant. It's okay. Great. It's unpleasant. If that can be okay, great. However, when we find that we're reacting to it, either grossly or subtly, then we have some work to do. We have to work with the mind in its relationship to the experience. Now, you know, much of what we experience in life, we don't get to choose. Things happen. You know, the body gets sick. The body gets well. Uh, The weather changes. You feel hot. You feel cold. You know, uh, other people in your life do things, whether you expect them to or not, sometimes unexpectedly. You get surprised. You get startled. And Well, we have to deal with it. Much of what happens in life, much of our life, the events of our life is unpredictable. It's not under our control. We can't make it be the way we want it to be so that we'll be safe, secure, and happy all the time. And so we're living with this unknown, what's coming next? In the development of understanding, or the meditation to develop understanding, we learn to open to all that life brings. We learn to recognize those reactions which cause suffering. When the mind resists and pushes away what is happening, or when the mind gets seduced and kind of entangled in what is happening, it causes the mind to be stressed. And so we begin to recognize, we learn to recognize the pushing away, the clinging, or when we're just confused. You know, we see, you know, something's happening and we don't know what it is. We're just looking at it kind of blankly, staring at it without seeing it. So we begin to recognize these states of mind and we begin to work with them. We begin to change our understanding, work with our understanding. How do we understand this experience so that we don't have to be afraid of it, so that we don't have to get blindly and kind of obsessively seduced by it, and so that we can see it clearly for what it is and not be kind of confused or deluded about it. 
And so in this kind of practice, we're not trying to control what experience arises in the present moment, but rather we're learning to observe how we are relating to it. Because in that is where we establish a base of happiness or unhappiness. And so we're really coming to understand the mind, how the mind is relating to the inevitable events of life. Well, as you can imagine, in this kind of practice, it's not immediate and obvious that you're going to become calm and secluded and and, and kind of peaceful because we're not trying to keep out all of those emotions and painful memories and insecure plans for the future. And we're not trying to keep them out. We're saying, if that's what's happening, that's what I'll deal with. And so we often find ourselves, well, struggling with or trying to understand or trying to get a handle on, contain uh, the emotional reactivity of the mind so that we can understand. How did we get, get, how did we get caught? in this fearful state of mind? How did I get caught in this obsessive desiring and clinging? How did I get caught in feeling depressed and overwhelmed with conditions in my life? How did that happen? And so we're looking at the mind in all of its nuance and subtlety of its relationship and how it understands what is going on in life. And in that growing recognition of the patterns of reactivity and a growing uh, understanding of the way things are, we gradually, but I would say in a very profound and deep way, we begin to stabilize the mind. We begin to so clearly and accurately know the mind and its relationship to things that we stop being so jerked around by unpredictable events in life. We begin to see what causes fear, what causes depression, what causes anxiety, what causes us to feel stressed, alone, lonely. And in that, we begin to recognize these states of mind, not get caught in them, and remain calm and connected through understanding, through the correct understanding. Well, this kind of meditation or this kind of development of mind is called insight. So the first kind of meditation that just calms the mind down by keeping it all out is called some form of tranquility meditation. Tranquilizes the mind. The second kind of meditation I've been talking about is insight meditation, where we observe in order to gain insight into how the mind is working. Now, what we're doing here is a little bit of both. Because we say, you know, Pay attention to the present moment. 
If you need to stabilize the mind, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed, you're feeling a little scattered, a little diffused, a little bit... Like, where is it all? Then you can stabilize the mind by attending to the breath, attending to the posture, staying open to sounds. And in that way, using one of those objects or or any other familiar object, with some continuity, you can gain some stability of mind. When I say stability of mind, I mean the continuity of your awareness increases. You know, you're just a little more continuous, knowing a little more frequently, hearing, 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 or breathing in, out, in, out, in, out. And as you sustain the continuity of your awareness, gradually you begin to calm down. But with this increased continuity of awareness comes Uh, let's say, more power of mind. The mind becomes more powerful and it begins to see more of what's going on. Some of which is more of all those things that are getting in and can cause you some stress. So we're kind of giving you instructions for both calming the mind and opening to what's there. Ultimately, in this practice, we're going to direct you more towards the development of understanding. There are whole retreats that lead just to the development of calmness. There are teachers that specialize in that. We, too, have practiced a lot of tranquility meditation and could guide you in that exclusively. But for this retreat, we'll be teaching you mostly and guiding you mostly to develop the understanding that will disentangle the mind from its wrong understandings that cause suffering. We'll lead you or let you get just calm enough to be able to do that. So it's important to understand, and and I've gone to some length to describe these two kinds of meditation, so that you can begin to understand your experience. That just because you're, you know, you're paying attention or you're trying to pay attention to the breath or the present moment, whatever it is, and sometimes your cage just gets rattled. You know, and you feel anxious and fretful and you start judging yourself and you get frustrated that you can't, you feel like you can't do it. And, you know, that's okay. That's not bad practice. If you can then make that experience the object of your awareness. If you can recognize, oh, I'm really feeling anxious, or really feeling frustrated, or really feeling critical, self-critical, having uh, an experience of low self-esteem, like, God, I can't do this. And certainly in the first couple days of a retreat, it's all too common that we feel like, question whether, am I getting it? Is this working? Am I doing it right? Because, let's face it, the habits of our mind, the habits of just being lost in thought and daydreaming and fantasizing and 
you know, just kind of whinging and whining about our life or, you know, being a Pollyanna and just kind of imagining it's so wonderful. Those habits of mind are really strong. They are just so powerful. We've had a lifetime of developing them. So when you come on retreat and you start paying attention, that's mostly what you're going to see initially, is the habits of the mind. And now we begin to see them with a little more clarity, and it's not always so, well, it's not always so easy to bear with. So why do we want to do this meditation anyway? You know, I know all of you are very sincere in coming here. People, people don't come on retreats like this without having at least some idea of what they're doing and you know, some expectation of some value from doing it. It's kind of a self-selecting group. You know, people don't accidentally stumble in here thinking they're going on a, to a holiday. Did you? I did, my first retreat. I, I was really out of it. I thought, you know, I didn't, I mean, I was not living a, uh, a very careful life. I was living kind of carelessly. But I needed a holiday, and I was living on a commune up in Maine, and one of the women in the commune read a book uh, about mindfulness and, you know, signed up to go do a two-week uh, cruise, a mindfulness cruise. So I said, geez, I need a break. I'll go too. So I went with her, and we went to the appointed place, an old monastery on the coast of Maine, a Catholic monastery that had been rented. And uh, we got there, and it was a two-week Vipassana retreat. And I looked at the schedule, you know, like the schedule, you know, wake up, 5 o'clock, sit, 5.30, 6.30, you know, da-da-da-da-da. You know, 8 o'clock, sit, walk, sit, walk, lunch, sit, walk, sit, walk, tea, sit, walk, da- talk. You know, 7.30, talk. And I looked at her and said, wow, at least we get an hour to talk to each other. <laughs> Wrong. We get an hour to listen. Somehow... You know, before that time, I didn't know anybody who meditated. I'd never heard about meditation. I didn't know any Buddhist. I didn't know anything about Buddhism. I wasn't interested in Buddhism. I was interested in the Grateful Dead. You know, and it's just, it just was the fr- not on my radar. It was a pure accident. But I paid my money. I arrived there. And I said, well, I might as well do it. And suffered through, and believe me, I suffered through two weeks of sitting and walking in silence. But something very interesting happens. Well, here I am, 35 years later, trying to entice you into the same thing. You know what? Pay attention. It's just paying attention. Because it is such a, this mindfulness meditation or becoming aware of yourself is like the most luscious thing you can do with your life. It will reveal dimensions of life to you you have not imagined. 
it is invaluable. Once that hook of the truth, truly knowing yourself, knowing this body, knowing this mind as it truly is, and seeing the conditioning that, well, frankly, causes each one of us to suffer, and the awareness that can take out that suffering hook. Once you get a taste of the freedom that comes through awareness, you can't get it out of your mind. It will keep pulling you back to be more aware, to become more aware. It is so powerful, this taste of freedom that comes through awareness and understanding. So, many of you probably came to the retreat hoping to, well, calm down, get happy. And that's, that's good. I'm sure if we went around the room and asked for why you came, there'd be plenty of different reasons. But somehow they all tend to point towards wanting to be happy. We want to be happy. Now, imagine if you were invited to go on a trip to a place that you'd never been, to uh, a climate that you'd never been to among a society or culture that you didn't know anything about. And, but nevertheless, you chose to go. There would be some apprehension in your mind as you were preparing to go or getting close to this, well, unknown destination. There'd be some apprehension. But if your traveling companion had been there before and suggested to you that, well, this is what they do here, this is the language they speak, this is what it means when they, you know, wave, and this is, you know, so you had some understanding about what to expect, then you'd feel a little more a little more stable, a little more confident, a little safer. But nevertheless, when you get there and you start to see what's going on, listen to what's going on, eat the food that's available there, you are going to have your very own personal experience. And how you understand that experience is going to make all the difference in the world. If you don't understand, if you're not curious, if you don't know what it means when people look at you this way or give you this kind of a gesture or whatever it is they do, you kind of you, you know you're a little bit tentative and a little bit unknown. And but if you understand that when somebody does this, they give you this shaka sign that means "Yo, bro, how's it going?" Then oh, okay, it's not like. You know, but you've got to know the difference. It's the understanding that makes a difference. So here we are on this journey of self-discovery. We're paying attention to our mind, paying attention to our body. We're having all these experiences. How we understand these experiences makes all the difference in the world. If we don't understand what it is we're experiencing why we're experiencing, how we're experiencing it, we'll be confused. It'll be impossible to feel at ease. 
peaceful, calm, confident. But if we understand things as they truly are, we open to them, we experience them, we understand them correctly, then we can be at ease with the experiences of our life. Because we know, we understand, and we can feel confident in experiencing them. Knowledge about the mind, knowledge about meditation, is vitally important. What you think you're doing here with this practice makes a big difference in what you'll do, how you'll understand it, and the benefit you get from it. If you don't have much understanding, you might not practice correctly, you won't understand your experience, and you won't get much benefit. So it's important that you ask yourself, why am I here? What am I doing? How do, I, how do you do this practice? So that you can, as we go along throughout the day and throughout the days, you can monitor your own being here. You can monitor your own efforts. You can monitor your own understanding. Because ultimately, awareness, self-awareness is a do-it-yourself job. We'll offer you all the advice all the encouragement, all the inspiration, all the instructions we can. But in the end, you have to do it yourself. You have to make the effort. You have to have the experience. You have to extract the understanding from your own experience. The objective of this kind of practice is to know the present moment because that is where life takes place. Life takes place only in the present moment. Thoughts of the past, imagining the future, well, those thoughts are occurring in the present moment. Those imaginings are occurring in the present moment. In one sense, we could say the past is gone never to be repeated. The future has not yet arrived, and it won't. There's only the present moment. So in our practice here, we're continually directing you to open to, experience, get in touch with, and acknowledge the present moment. Just whatever it is for you. Not waiting till a better experience in the future not yearning for or longing for a remembered experience of the past. While they may have been pleasant, wonderful, and what you expect may be just glorious and divine, the present moment is something else. And that's where life is happening. So to know the present moment and to understand how it's all happening to really deeply understand how life is unfolding. You know, when I'm sure some of you are gardeners or have a green thumb of some sort, you know, when you put a seed in the ground, you usually know, well, this is an orange seed or this is a whatever kind of seed it is. You put it in the ground and you tend it. You have a reasonable expectation that you're going to know what grows from that. 
you know, you don't plant randomly, just throw out any old seed and hope mangoes grow. You, if you want a mango tree, you've got to plant mango seed. You can't plant an orange seed. Just as there are the laws of nature that condition how plants grow, there are the laws of nature that condition how the mind unfolds. It's not predetermined what you will experience in the mind, but there are laws that govern how the mind will unfold, whether the mind will be happy or not. And by paying close attention to how our life is unfolding, we can begin to discern the laws of the mind, the conditioning of the mind. When we deeply understand how the mind is unfolding, we can live in alignment with it. We can live in harmony with it. And that is the source of deep and abiding peace. If we do not understand the mind, how the mind is relating to the present moment, how the mind is unfolding, we won't know whether we're struggling with the way things are or whether we're in alignment with the way things are. And in that situation, if we're happy, it's just accidental, or we're lucky. So it's understanding that we're headed towards, because understanding is the foundation for peace in our heart. To develop wisdom to develop this understanding, this deeply personal, insightful understanding of of the mind, we need information. We need to hear from others what they know about the mind, how to meditate, why to meditate, how to understand what we experience. And from this information that we can read in books, that we can hear from speakers, that we can gather in conversation with friends. Then we think about that. Using our own intelligence, we think about what we've read, what we've heard, what we've discussed, and we we try to make sense of it. Does it make sense? Now you've been listening to me for a half hour, and I'm telling you all kinds of, I'm giving you all kinds of information. Does it make sense? You know, you have to use your own intelligence and and kind of put it all together and kind of tease it apart. We just can't take in the information and just mainline it and think it's going to work. We have to kind of work it over and use our own intelligence and think, does this make sense? Is this rational? Is this logical? How do I do this? And if we apply our own intelligence to the information we've received, and we observe our life carefully, we will gain insight. Wisdom is of three kinds. Information from others, intelligence from thinking, and insight from observation. To practice insight effectively, we need the right information, and we need to think about it correctly. So, in this practice of being aware, just being aware is not enough. 
we need to understand also how to be aware and understand what we're being aware of and how to understand it. So in this case, we could say, and I'm sure you can now see, that meditation is the work of the mind. It's what the mind is doing. It's not how you sit. It's not the posture you sit. It's not how slow you walk. It's not, it's not what the body does. We need a body, and we need to sit and walk and exercise and stretch and, and do all those things to keep the body healthy and as, as uh, pain-free as we can. But nevertheless, it's what the mind is doing when the body's doing all that. It's what the mind is doing. That's the area of meditation. So we're working primarily with the mind in mindfulness meditation. To gain insight, we need to use our intelligence. Sometimes in meditation practice, we get the, we assume incorrectly that thoughts are the enemy. But let me reassure you that you can't meditate effectively without thinking. So thoughts in and of themselves are not the enemy to mindfulness, tranquility, or insight. Thoughts about what you want and what you like and what you fear and what you hope to do, well, those are not so helpful. They lead to a lot of, you know, whinging and whining and fear and anxiety and, you know, excited planning. But the thoughts and the kind of thinking that's required is thinking about meditation, thinking about how to be aware. So we need to invest our information, our intelligence, in developing or gaining insight. So when we offer you the instructions in the sitting practice, in the walking practice, and you hear them, you then have to think about how to apply those instructions in your life, in your experience throughout the day. Remember what we say, how to be aware, how to practice uh, awareness in the different postures, different activities throughout the day, so that you can monitor your efforts to see if you are actually practicing intelligently, if you're using your efforts. I know you're making a lot of effort. People don't come here to just kind of cruise. People come, they make a lot of effort. But if you're making the wrong effort, you're not going to get the right result. So you need to use your intelligence in applying the, your energy effectively along the, li- guide or along the guidelines of the instructions that we offer. <coughs> so in this meditation practice, this mindfulness leading to insight, what is it that we're doing? Well, as we mentioned this morning, we're paying attention to the present moment. We're just relaxed, open, 
with no agenda other than to recognize present moment experience. That's it. And we're not so interested in the external experience, although sometimes unavoidably external sounds and sights and whatnot impact the mind and we become aware of them. What we're primarily interested in is the experiences within the body and within the mind. So we're paying attention to the experiences of the body and the experiences of the mind. Now, in ordinary language, we say, it's my body and it's my mind. So I'm feeling my body and I'm watching my mind. But actually, let's look at that a little closer. What we're experiencing, each one of us, is the nature of a human body. Today, or yesterday, for example, when it was really hot, was there anyone who wasn't feeling hot? The body felt hot. It's not, there's, there's nothing personal about feeling hot. It is in the very nature of the body to be hot when it's hot outside. Or if you sit, if, if the body sits still in one position for a s- sustained period of time, it is in the nature of the body to, to become uncomfortable, painful, stiff, ache. That's the very nature of a human body. So too with the mind. It is in the very nature of the human mind to experience sounds. When sounds occur, hearing happens. That's the mind and the body working together. We don't have to do anything special to make that happen. It just, it's in the nature of the activity of the mind and body for it to happen. So too with everything else we experience that is experienced. It's just in the nature of the mind. It's in the nature of the body to feel pleasant, to feel unpleasant, to feel fearful, to feel anxious, to feel, to have thoughts. It's the nature of mental activity to think. That's what the mind does. It thinks. It's supposed to. Just like the ears hear. We don't blame the ears because they hear. We don't blame the eyes because they see. We don't blame the body because it feels. We also should not blame the mind because it thinks. That's what the mind does. So all of this that we're observing in the unfolding moment by moment present is it's just, it's just the nature of the mind and it's the nature of the body. Unfortunately, Mostly we think it's my body and my mind. And when my body is painful, we suffer. Or when my mind is fearful, we suffer. Or when it's my mind that's angry, we suffer. Or my mind that's lonely, we suffer. If we could see instead that, well, this is the nature of anger. Or this is the nature of loneliness. It arises. It's experienced. There isn't anyone in this room 
who has never experienced anger, loneliness, fear, jealousy, hot, cold, pleasant, unpleasant, irritated, joy. It's just, it's in the nature of a human existence. What makes it so personal? Yes, there is an experience that you know or you recognize in a particular time. But because the mind or because the body reacts in that way, nothing personal to it. It's just in the nature. This understanding is vital to practice. Because as long as we insist on kind of it's my anger, it's my fear, it's my loneliness, it's my anxiety, we're going to suffer. That's a wrong understanding. And so we need to recognize that when we're caught in any of these states of mind or experiences of the body, and we're personalizing it, we have to begin to cognitively reframe our wrong understanding. This is in the very nature of the body to feel like this. It is in the very nature of the activity of mind to do that. When we can begin to recognize that and apply this right understanding to our experience, We don't live in denial of what's happening. It's not like, oh, somehow we're just going to kind of be in denial of it all or we're going to somehow hover above it all. We're still in touch with it, but we begin to understand it correctly. And in that correct understanding, we begin to disentangle the threads that cause us to suffer. Well, this is the whole direction of practice, of insight practice. It's coming to a correct understanding of the way things are. With which we can then choose to live in alignment with them. If we don't know the way things are, if we think it's my body and my mind and my fear and my emotions and my... We're going to stay entangled in a way that causes suffering. If we're in denial of whatever is happening. I'm not angry. I'm not fearful. That's not what I'm talking about. That also causes suffering. And I'm saying what we want to do is recognize, oh, when anger arises in the mind, recognize, oh, anger has arisen in the mind. Hmm. Or judgment has arisen in the mind. Judgment. Oh, judgment has arisen in the mind. Confusion has arisen in the mind. Oh, let me look at this nature of confusion. What is the nature of confusion? What is the nature of irritation? What is the nature of, well, restlessness? These things happen. They happen due to conditions, causes and conditions that are impersonal. We could say, it's not your fault, so to speak. You didn't make it happen. It happened due to causes and conditions beyond your immediate control. Nevertheless, It has arisen in the mind. It's your responsibility to deal with it. You can't blame somebody else for how you feel, how you, what you experience. We do, but we still have to deal with it. We have to deal with 
this anger, this fear, this jealousy, this whatever. We have to find a way of understanding it, understanding the situation, understanding the arising of it, the conditions of it, so that we don't get entangled in it. That we see, oh, this is in the nature of the mind, the nature of the body. earlier today in the instructions, we suggested that you could stabilize your attention on a chosen object like the breath, sounds, or the posture. But when you recognized that you were attending elsewhere, other sensations or thoughts or whatever else might have arisen in the, mo- in the mind, to recognize that. And we ask you to recognize it because what you're paying attention to is really not so important. Whether you're paying attention to the breath or sensations in the body or thoughts in the mind doesn't really matter. How you're paying attention to it and how you're relating to it, that's what's important. That's what we want to ask you to recognize in the unfolding moment-to-moment experience. So what I'm pointing to is, in this practice to gain understanding, insight and understanding, we're not asking you to try to stay with a single experience like the breath. That causes a lot of tension in the mind, a lot of struggle, a lot of, well, there's a lot of disappointment because it's hard to do, and, and the mind just gets frustrated, and you start judging yourself, and then you start having a lot of doubt about practice and about your own capacity, and all the while, where's the breath? But if, on the other hand, you understand that whatever arises in the mind can be made the object of your attention, how are you relating to it? So you try to pay attention to breath, and instead you notice frustration. Okay, notice frustration. What's the nature of frustration like? Or whatever other experience your attention is called to. Sensations in the body, sounds in the room, thoughts in the mind, emotions in the heart. Fine. Recognize them. How are you relating to them? Because it's in our relationship to the inevitable experiences of life where we're either going to be aware with understanding and therefore live in harmony and have some peace of mind, or we're going to be unaware without understanding, not know whether we're living in harmony, and if we're happy, it's merely luck. So it's important that we understand that meditation is the work of the mind, how the mind is relating to it. All that I'm saying to you tonight is information. It's important to hear this information so that it's working in the background of your mind as you make your efforts to be aware. You don't need to do anything with it. You don't need to make a technique out of what I'm saying. You don't need to kind of do something other than listen, understand, intelligently apply it, and just 
let this understanding, let this information work in the background as you recognize or try to be aware of the present moment. This awareness that I'm talking about is really just remembering yourself in each moment. That's all. It's just remembering to recognize your own experience in each moment. That's all. We're not trying to create some experience. We're not trying to stay with some experience. We're not trying to get rid of some experience. We're just trying to remember to acknowledge this experience, whatever it is. When we can establish some momentum to this awareness, this remembering, then the mind becomes stable. The ability of the mind to to kind of be with the present moment, stop shaking, and just stabilizes so that we can see what is occurring in each moment. We get an s- approximation of that when we try to stabilize our attention on a single object like the breath. Breathing in, breathing out, or posture. We get some stability of object. Still, the mind wanders. But in insight practice, we let the mind open to whatever's happening and try to recognize what it is moment after moment so that while the object of our attention may be changing, as experience is, the stability of the knowing of the present moment grows. And so the mind that is aware becomes more stable, more steady, even though what the mind is aware of is constantly changing. So, in a way, we're not looking for calmness in this practice. We're looking for continuity of awareness, the stability of the mind. It's not easy. I know it's not easy. You know it's not easy. I hope you'll hear that. It's not easy. But in any moment, it's not so difficult, really. Just take your hands for a moment and put them together like you were going to pray. Are you aware that the hands are touching? You can just nod your head, yes or no. Yes. Why are you aware that the hands are touching? How is it that you're aware that the hands are touching? Awareness happens when we pay attention. Because we're paying attention, we know the hands are touching. And if I asked you to describe the sensations of that touching, you could probably say, oh, it's warm, it's pressure, it's sticky, it's whatever it is. If your mind, even though your hands are touching, if your mind is thinking about what's for breakfast, 
you're not aware that the hands are touching. It's only when we bring our attention to the experience are we aware that the hands are touching. But how much effort does it take to recognize that the hands are touching? Not that much, really. In any moment of awareness, it only takes just this microscopic amount of attention to the present moment's experience. That's all. It doesn't require a lot of sweating and struggle and stress and straining and focusing and trying to do anything. It merely takes the application of attention to the present moment. Easy enough to do in a moment when instructed or encouraged, but it's difficult to do continuously on our own. And that's the effort that we need to make in practice, is to remember to pay attention, to attend to the present moment as we're experiencing it, moment by moment. And whenever we're off, or when our, whenever the awareness is weak or lapses, there's still plenty of experience happening. There's always sensations in the body. There's almost always sounds in the room. There's almost always thoughts in the mind. All we have to do is attend to that moment, and we'll recognize what's going on. Right effort in this practice is the continuity of attending, remembering to pay attention. So it's not a lot of sweat, it's not a lot of struggle, it's not a lot of striving. It's merely remembering to pay attention. That's the work of the mind. So this is the practice that we're doing here slowly cultivating the capacity to remember, to pay attention, to then pay attention, and to understand what we're experiencing. It is a gradual practice of gaining momentum in the mind. It is not possible to gain this momentum quickly. We will make the effort. Please try Make the effort continuously. If you're, st- if you're you know, tense and struggling, it's not going to happen any quicker. In fact, tension and struggle slows down the process. So relax. Attend to the present moment. Whenever you notice that you're off, that the awareness has lapsed, pick it up again. Start again. It is better to consider this kind of meditation as a marathon rather than a hundred-yard dash. Don't look for the good experience tomorrow or tonight, tomorrow. But know that at the end of the retreat, you will definitely will have experienced or will be experiencing a momentum of awareness in your mind that's not yet developed. And with that momentum of mindful awareness, there will be a deeper understanding. And with that deeper understanding there will be more peace in your heart. So let's sit for a moment and let the words quiet down.
when your understanding of the true nature of things grows, Saito Utejaniya says, your values in life will change. When your values change, your priorities will change as well. And through such understanding, you will naturally practice more, and this will help you to do well in life. Thank you for listening to the Dhamma. There's uh, half an hour now for some mindful movement, and then we'll be we'll have another sitting at nine o'clock. And this being the first uh, full day of practice, I know many people at this time of day, on the first day of the retreat, they're thinking, "I have had enough." But I encourage you to come back at nine o'clock. We'll have only a short sitting. And uh, during that time, we will begin to uh, recite the uh, uh, quotes that we have uh, collected about the paramis, those forces of purity in the mind, as a way of reminding us of what we're doing here, the forces that are being cultivated and developed. And sometimes just chanting or reciting in the evening can raise some energy and extend your uh, practice day a bit. So please come back at 9 o'clock, and we'll have a little... We'll have another short sitting then. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.